0: This morning we're going to pick up our study in Colossians chapter 4 We're going to look at verses 2 through 4 as we begin to make our way to the end of this letter So the last several weeks we have looked at the household code That began back there in chapter 3 and verse 18 And Paul moves through and begins to address all the various people in the household And now here in 4-2 he turns back and he addresses the entire congregation all as one and I think it's instructive that as Paul turns to the end of his letter he gives them a, a word that they would need if they're going to be faithful to adhere to the instruction that he's given them prior. And it's an instruction that, that they're going to need if they're going to be faithful there in Colossae and it's some information that we need if we are going to be faithful here in Greenville, Texas and beyond. It's, inform- it's information that calls us to reality that exists beyond ourselves. And it's, 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 it's information that calls us to tap into an ability that God gives us in giving to us himself, in giving to us his son. Let's read Colossians 4, 2 through 4 together. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul writes and he addresses the subject, just simply put, of, of prayer. In the integral relationship of prayer to the believer and to their effectiveness, and then he further moves and he connects the necessity of the believer, that church there in Colossae, praying for Paul. In some sense, he ties and says, listen, listen, I can't be effective, I can't be impactful if you do not pray for me. And so what I need you to do is I need you to submit yourself to the Lord in prayer. Now, prayer has been this kind of mainstay of Paul's relationship to the church there in Colossae, and it has been the, the, the abiding presence of which, which had kept them in the race. Look back at chapter 1, verses 3 and 9. He says, we always thank God, the, the, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So when Paul had occasion to remember the church there in Colossae, the first thing he did was turn to the Lord and say, thank you for that church. And so we get this understanding and it's brought into the idea that in just a moment he's going to tell them to be thankful. That thankfulness lies at the heart of prayerfulness. And then in verse 9 he said, And so from the day that we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And he's had a really specific prayer for them. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, so that you would know what to do, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that God would equip you for all the things he's superintending to bring across your path, that you would glorify him in your actions, that you would glorify him in your thoughts, that you would glorify him in your speech. And that's what Paul's been praying for them. He's so incredibly thankful for this church there in Colossae, and he does not want them to fail. He doesn't want them to falter. He doesn't want them to stumble. And so he finds himself repeatedly given to praying for this church. And to this church that he's repeatedly prayed for, he now turns and says, be caught up in constant prayer. Now the really fantastic thing about the, the verb here that Paul uses is he, he ties it to the idea of prayer. Really what he says to them is persevere or remain constant prayer and steadfast but if he doesn't give them an object but he says remain constant and steadfast in difficulty they say okay we got this but what he does to them in this case is he says remain constant and steadfast making progress moving forward in something specific everybody say in prayer Paul wants them to remain steadfast and constant in prayer now, Paul has said something similar to the church in Thessalonica, where he simply just said, pray without ceasing. Now, you look at this, and we hear this idea, and it kind of introduces to us the possibility that maybe we don't pray enough, right? Right? It kind of introduces the possibility when we run back through our list of the things that we've done this week, where we've been, how our conversations have gone, how our mornings have gone, how our afternoons have gone. It at least introduces the question of, have I prayed enough or how much have I prayed? And then when we answer that question, we recognize that, no, we have not prayed enough. A regular occurrence at our house is at mealtime with three little boys. Uh, We always have a number of volunteers for prayer, right? Right. And if you've ever heard one of my meal prayers, you know that I I value short meal prayers because I value warm food. And so as we're sitting there and this food is before us, the four-year-old is always the first to say, I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to pray. And occasionally we relent because we think it's good for him. And so his prayers go something like this. Everybody ready? And thank you, God, for food, and thank you, God, for help us obey. And mom dad think, and let all the people say amen and amen. And thank you, God, for... And then what he does is just ever so subtly, he turns to thanking God for those things he has not yet received. And thank you, God, for watching TV, and thank you, God, for playing video games, and thank you, God, for going to Bo's house, and thank you, God, for going to Memo and Peppa's house, and thank you for God... And then he turns into an evangelist. And he goes on and on the rest of the meal, and the rest of us just say amen and begin to eat. But what we recognize in his prayer is, in a very real sense, the same ideas that you and I bring into prayer, prayer, right? And so it just becomes this kind of litany, this, this, this list of things. These are the things I'm thankful for. These are the things I want. These are the things I'm currently experiencing that I have no ability to overcome. This is what I see upcoming in my future. These are the people I told that I ought to pray for them, of whom I remember. And then God prayed for the others of whom I've forgotten. But what does Paul say in here? In essence, he could have said it this way. Let your manner of life in every waking moment be caught up and captivated in giving yourself to mindfulness of the Lord being mindful of those things that he would bring across your path, and being mindful of your dependence upon the Lord. Prayer is not merely going to God and saying, I'm thankful for these things. I need these things. Would you cause me to be content until you give me the things I want? But prayer, in a very real sense, is communion with the Lord. It's going and spending time with God. And we recognize in this idea of giving ourselves steadfastly in prayer, God is radically changing and transforming our hearts. And occasionally what we'll find in the midst of these things and in the midst of submitting different requests for the Lord and saying, God, this is my desire. Here is my desire. You know this is what I want. That as I spend increasing, increased time in prayer, that God changes and transforms my heart. And I lower this thing I've exalted and told God that I want it. And I recognize that instead what God is desiring from me is to become a person who does not delight in those things any longer. God is changing my heart, and he's changing my desires. And I get there, and I become that through this process of continual prayer, finding myself continually going back to manifesting prayer and being caught up in this idea of constancy of prayer, being unwilling to have a time in my day, to have a time in my week where I am not mindful of the direction of the Lord. Now, for some of us, this is, this is an, an, almost an act of hubris, right? This is almost this act that you say, this is impossible, I cannot do this. In fact, no one can do this. It's because over the course of your life, what prayer has looked like for you is occasionally mumbling this thing under your breath before you fall asleep and, and making certain, because you're terrified of indigestion, that you offer up some petition of thanks, some prayerful thank you for this food prior to ingesting mass calories. God, help this somehow to be healthy. Listen, most of the stuff we eat is never going to get there. Stop praying that. God, help me to be faithful. Help me to be mindful. God, would you direct my thought and intention towards you? And a prayer for many of us at this point was, God, help me to be aware of my prayerlessness. God, would you help me to be aware of those times and occasions in my life where I seek to fill up the voids and the boredoms and and the cessation of activity and just kind of these lulls of life with anything other than prayer? God, would you alert me to the mass opportunities I have to commune with you in prayer? And submit yourself to the Lord in that. So, God, I read in your word that it says that I need to continue steadfastly in prayer. I find myself only occasionally found up in prayer. So, God, would you reveal to me the opportunities I have in my life that I'm overlooking? That is a prayer God longs to honor. That is a prayer long God longs to answer. And what we see is that prayer has, has long been the mainstay of the New Testament church. If you flip back to uh, the book of Acts... If you flip back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, we read how the, the this fledgling church responded to prayer. Chapter 2 and verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. One of the, 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 the crowning descriptors of this early church was that they were a prayerful church. Acts Chapter 6, when they're setting up this kind of first group of men who would go in to serve the church. Those apostles, those early elders said that in chapter 6 and verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the words. They divided all the ministry in the totality of the church. They said there's the ministry of the word and there's prayer. And they found that both of these things were vital and neither was dispensable. They had to have them both. They both had to be there together. And then I'm always mindful, I'm always remembering Christ's own words when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so you can see it in Luke, but I I prefer for us to go here to Matthew, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives them a couple of things that it should not be. In Matthew six, verses five and six, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they they have received their reward. So Jesus says, listen, don't be like those who all they want to do is be known as a person of prayer. Making a spectacle of their prayer. They go out and stand on street corners, bow their head and say, Heavenly Father. You know, whatever it is that they say, that's what they want. They want to be seen, they want to be recognized, they want to be applauded, they want to be followed. Don't be like that person. They've already got what they want. Do you want what you're asking for to be received, or do you merely want to be recognized as a religious person? Don't delight in being recognized as a religious person. Verse 6, he says, but when you pray, instead go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is, who is in secret. And your Father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you. So he says prayer, it doesn't even have to be articulated. It could be this quiet thing within the hiddenness of your heart, going before the Lord, humbling your heart before him and saying, Lord, I don't know if these are good desires, but they are my desire." Would you shape me? Would you transform me? Would you help me to pray for things that are worthy? Would you help me to, to delight in things that are worthy? And would you not let me leave this place in this state of mind until I'm ready to follow you with every ounce of my being? He says, "Listen, don't, don't pray to be a spectacle. Pray for change and pray that the change would happen in your heart, that God would affect that change. And then he goes into verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. He says, listen, don't just go on and on. God, I really want this. I just, you know, I really want it. And you flip over the, the source that describes all the various ways that you could say want, want. Need, I need this, I delight in this, I would enjoy this. And then you turn it into a song god i really need this i'd really delight in this god would you give me this i'm running out of words and you're still not giving it to me he says don't be like this they think they'll be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need listen to this y'all before you ask him what a comfort i don't want to go and pray to god and have him think he needs that Other members of the Trinity, gather around. We didn't know Matt needed this. What a delight to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I am discouraged. What a delight to go before the Lord and say, God, I am struggling with anxiety. What a delight to go before the Lord and to say, God, I have no idea what to do. I respect people that say this is all overblown, and I respect people who say this is the worst thing in the world. I have no idea what to do or how to go forward. And God knows what you need. He knows the difficulties that you're facing today. And he knows the difficulties that you're going to face tomorrow. I mean, that's good news. And it's a delight knowing today in this moment that when you wake up tomorrow with some new. Uh, health difficulty when we wake up tomorrow in 2020 just keeps on a given God already knows it God is already there to make provision for it and his instruction to his children is come to me and ask come to me and be made new come to me and receive provision. This amazing idea that we have a God in heaven, the creator of all things, who knows just what you need. And his knowledge of what you need doesn't keep him from being just as involved and just as intimately invested in the lives of the other people on your street. People may, who you may not think are worthy of God's involvement and God's investment. I mean, this blows me away. And every time I come to this, I'm reminded of God's incredible love for us as a wayward people as a wayward people. Look at how he goes on. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, and then he begins to describe this kind of disposition of what this needs to look like. He does it in a couple of words. The first thing he says is be watchful, and the second thing he does is he characterizes our watchfulness. He says it's watchfulness with thanksgiving. It's watchfulness with thanksgiving. Now some of us are incredibly good at the idea of being watchful, and your paranoia lends to this, right? You're a person who's incredibly fearful. You're a person who thinks that 2020 really is out to get you, and it may be. We'll see in 2021. But you're this person who's just constantly looking out for the next thing around the bend, and you are paranoid. And so the idea of watchful, when you read these things, you're like, I am watchful. Because if something, something starts coming towards me that's not an incredibly good thing, I'm just going to kick this to the curb and say, you're not coming for me. I'm ready for something else. And, and you're coming for me. And this is the thing I want to receive. Well, that's not at all what he's saying. And how do we know this? Because he says, being watchful with thanksgiving. Right? And this radically transforms the kind of watchfulness that we engage in. And it also transforms the manner and the intensity for which we give ourselves to prayer. We're not those who engage and go into prayer with this pessimistic attitude that says, maybe, maybe if God's not too busy, maybe, maybe if God's not too bothered, maybe, maybe if I've done enough to please the Lord, then he'll give me what I long for. Then he'll give me what I'm asking for. But we're those who go into it with this honest sense of eager expectation, watching and paying attention to the things that we're submitting before the Lord and watching how he's changing our hearts to submit to him rightly. And we're doing it with thankfulness. And we're primarily thankful in this, not because of what we're asking for. We're thankful because of this. We're thankful for this. We're thankful in this because of what God is doing to us in the midst of prayer. And that changes everything. Listen, think back to when you were younger. And there was some idea, something that you set your heart on. Growing up as a kid overseas, I didn't really understand how the presidency worked, but I recognized he was a man with tremendous power. And so when I was in elementary school, we had to write the president. We had to say, dear so-and-so, this is uh, me, and this is the school I'm at, and uh, pleasure to meet you. Hope everything's going great. Don't make big mistakes. And, and you know, whatever the letter said, it didn't matter. And so, and you get a picture or some, something back. So I wrote all the way uh, from Norway and I wrote uh, White House USA and letter went out and I got a picture back. And I said, look at this. The mail works. It's fantastic. I got a picture. And I thought, why not really ask for something? And so I knew that I told my parents over and over again that I wanted a Nintendo Entertainment System. And they told me no. And I said, but look, my cousin and all my friends have it. And they said, that's good. They have it. You don't you don't get one. And so knowing the president of the United States was a very wealthy man, and a very powerful man, I coined a letter and, 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 and just said, uh dear honored president majesty of the universe I, I didn't live in the u.s and so i wasn't really sure the right title and so i kind of go on and on all these various things I said, listen i got the picture last time it'd be tops if you'd send me a nintendo entertainment system my parents won't let me have one but if you'd send me one i'd really appreciate it please don't send me another picture i've already got one of those <laughs> white house usa send the letter and off it goes lo and behold i get a package in the mail super excited come to find out it's a flat package and it's a picture book i requested something of somebody who had no desire or delighted in giving it to me and if i could have voted i would have voted him out of office but that's fine because he lost anyway i didn't like his platform what we see in the midst of this is that my my desire was completely situated on getting the thing that i wanted and if our prayer only is frequent, if it's only constant in so much as we delight in getting the thing we want. And when you don't get the thing you request from the Lord, you'll find yourself praying less and less. When you don't begin to see your heart changing, you'll pray less and less. But when we pray the way that God is instructing us to pray, we recognize that prayer is that thing which is fundamentally changing and transforming who we are. That we're being watchful, that we're being alert, that we're being attentive, and we're doing so with thanks giving. We're not allowing our mind to wander. We're being conscious and directed and purposed in our prayer, continually pulling our minds back to focusing on the Lord and focusing on what he would have us to be and what he would have us to delight in. Amen? Now listen, Paul transitions from this idea of of being constant in prayer, and then he turns and he begins to direct uh, the church there in Colossae to pray for him specifically and to pray for the future of his ministry. So he says, at the same time you're doing this, you're being constant in prayer, but at the same time, listen, don't stop that, but also at the same time, come over and pray for us as well. Paul's not saying stop praying for yourself and and then pray for me. Paul says, continue to pray for these things, continue to be constant in prayer, but add to that the idea that you need to pray for us. Paul entrusts the church there in Colossae, and Paul, in some some sense, gives us the indication that the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is dependent upon the prayer of Christians. The, The furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is dependent upon the prayer of Christians. Look what he says. He says, at the same time, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. A door for the word. Now back in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Paul talked about this ministry of the word that the church there had received. They heard the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and indeed it has come to the whole world. And it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you. Recognize that the gospel. Paul asked them to pray that a door would be open for the gospel. Paul doesn't write primarily and say to them, help us to see a door, help us to see a window. But Paul says, listen, I want you to pray that a door will be open for the word. Paul wants this church to be given, submitted, constant, diligent, to praying that doors would be open for the furtherance of the gospel. Knowing this, That the word of God is faithful and true and it can affect and bring about change. He says this is what the the word does. The word changes, it it is this declaration of the mystery of Christ and he says on account of which I'm in prison. Paul says listen, I have been declaring to the goodness of God, I'm getting ready to appeal to Caesar, I'm in prison on the basis of my faithfulness to this word. Would you pray that God would continue to grant opportunities to be faithful still? Have you thought about, have you considered yourself in the integral role you play in the furtherance of the gospel? Many of us, and and we've heard a variety of sermons, some in this church completely centered on the idea that you need to communicate the gospel. You need to walk out and you need to tell people, listen... God created humanity, humanity rebelled against God, but God sent his son Jesus so that you would be restored to him. Because you have rebelled personally, you've taken on the stain, the penalty, the punishment of sin, but God sent his son Jesus to willingly take upon the due penalty and his justice upon himself. Jesus Christ died for you. And in dying for you, he took on the penalty of death for you. And then God raised him up from the dead and highly exalted him above every name. And when you trust in Jesus, you receive the forgiveness of your sins. And so we know this. Not many of us do anything about it, but we know this. This understanding that God has entrusted to us and he has called us to be evangelists. He's called us to be dispensers of the gospel. Paul speaks of it in Corinthians and he says we are ambassadors for Christ as though God is making his direct appeal through us. But look at this other role he asks us to play. You today can partner with churches all across this city, all across this country all across this world in praying for an open door for the word and you should and you should and part of this prayer is praying that those who stand up to proclaim the word would do so clearly Now, the really cool thing about this is in the midst of these things, the word Paul uses here is that they would be manifest, that they would be plainly seen. Paul entrusts himself in the effectiveness of his ministry to this church here in Colossae, and he says, would you pray for me that when I stand to speak, it would be clear? Paul has in mind, likely, those that would come to visit him in his house arrest, Paul has in mind, possibly, when he would stand before Caesar, that when he stands there and he declares the gospel, that he would do so with clarity. And he's also praying, in some sense, that God would begin to effect change in the hearts of those who hear. Did y'all realize that today what we're engaged in is a collaborative work and effort? that when you're sitting in here, one of the things that you should be doing is praying that the word would be clear and joining your children and praying that the word would be short. (laughs) Praying that the word would be clear, praying that the word would be affected and praying that the churches across our country and across our globe would recognize the door and step through it with the word. Today in this country, God has opened a door in Kenosha riots there's protests there's heartbreak there's outrage there's fear there's anxiety and there's hatred and all of these things present an open door for the word of god and the gospel to step through today in this country there is an open door in portland for the gospel. Churches are seeing revival. They are being faithful to the word of the Lord. They're going out there and they're meeting protests with water. They're meeting protesters with love. And they are displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, there is an open door for the gospel in Portland. Today, there's an open door for the gospel in Minneapolis. A place that has seen repeated outrage and violence. A, A place that has continued to see people broke. Today, there's an open door for the gospel. Today, there's an open door for the gospel in Beijing. As the country of China increasingly moves to to arrest Christians, to destroy the underground church, today, there's an open door for the gospel. It seems that over the course of the things that we're watching unfold in history, That our God is choosing to open a door amidst heartache if you've been observing if you've been paying attention to the lives of the people around you God frequently does that in the lives of people you know somebody gets a devastating diagnosis God is opening a door in their heart to receive the gospel he's opening up people who have previously been closed off to spiritual conversations Will we be faithful to pray for those who have opportunity equipped with the gospel to step through that door? God is calling us to two roles in this passage, that we be constant in prayer, that we would be captivated in a people of prayer, and that we would pray for those who have opportunity to teach and preach the gospel would you pray with me Father we thank you that you give us an opportunity to submit ourselves to you God that some of what that looks like is us being constant and faithful in prayer so God help us not to grow weary in prayer or disinterested help us to not be distracted. but Help us to be watchful and thankful. And God, I pray that you would burden the hearts of the men and women in this church, the men and women listening, that we would be mindful of the other places in this country and around the world, that we would pray earnestly for those churches. God, all the places where you're opening doors for your gospel, that when they stand and are given opportunity, that they would speak well, that they would speak clearly, and God, that they would call men and women to repentance and faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for any in this hearing who have yet to submit themselves to Your Son. or perhaps even they've been praying but not hearing. God, I pray that today that as they cry out and pray to You for their salvation, God, that they would have a sense of your response, that you would radically save them, transform them, having won them to yourself through the shed blood of Jesus. We submit these things to you. In Christ's name, amen.